What's up, Valley Creek? How we doing? Let's just take a second, welcome in all of our campuses right now. What's up? Come on, you can do better than that. It's summer, thank you. I am so glad that you are here. And hey, my name is Leslie, and 20 years ago, my family moved to Texas. We tried out Valley Creek, and I have been here ever since. I literally grew up here. I walked away from Jesus here. I realized I needed Jesus here. I got saved here, baptized here, discipled here, raised up to be a leader here. I met my husband here. I now get to serve on staff and students here. And it has been the honor of my life to get to be a part of this church family. And so thank you for being the reason that this church is so great. Thank you for being a constant in my life because it has made all the difference. Hey, I hope you had a great 4th of July. I hope it was awesome. Thank you for engaging online so our staff and our serve teams and our leaders could all rest. You see, the people of God has always been identified by the fact that they celebrate and they rest. Seriously, look at it any part in the Bible. You'll see that they celebrate and they rest. And so we as a church decided a few times a year, we're gonna take a week to celebrate and we're gonna take a week to rest. And so I hope it was filling for your soul. But if you can remember with me, we are right in the middle of our series called 60 Days, Songs of Life, where for the whole summer, we are reading through the Psalms and we are learning to meditate on scripture. And why is because in Psalms one, it starts with a promise. It said, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. Come on, you want that to be true of you. I don't want that to be true of me. And so halfway through, cause we're in July, how's it going? Mixed reviews, okay, that's totally fine. If you've been engaging, don't stop now because God has so much more for you as we finish up the Psalms. And maybe if you haven't, this can still be true of you. You can start engaging today, engaging with people, learning to meditate so that you bear fruit in every season, your leaf doesn't wither and whatever they do prospers. So, super awesome. And we've been talking about meditation. And really meditation is super simple. It's a big word, but all it is is taking what's in here, going over it in here so many times that it sinks down in here. So then your thoughts are a result of the grace you've received and your actions are a result of his truth. And we've been saying that songs have this like supernatural direct access to the human heart. And it's true because um, I remember nothing from math class, but I can tell you every word from the Bruno Mars song that was big at the exact same time, point proven. That's true with the songs of this world, but it's also true with the songs of the kingdom. And the Psalms are the songs. They're essentially like humanity expressing, like expressing their human experience to God and him doing the same. And in the process, it actually draws the two together. And if you've been reading, maybe you've noticed that the Psalms aren't necessarily something to like cognitively understand. They're something to feel. They're poetry, they're art, they're emotion. And it, what it does is it takes your soul on this journey of like highs and lows where the destination ultimately is God. It's been awesome. And when I heard about this series, it was kind of surreal, I'm not gonna lie, because for the past year, I have been meditating on one Psalm and one verse in particularly. 
And it's from Psalm 73, it says, my health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. See, this was and is a song of life for me because in October of last year, I was supernaturally healed from a traumatic brain injury. Yeah. So, uh, I told you I lead in students, right? And we play this game called Gaga Ball. And um, I like to call it Fight Club for Middle Schoolers. If you've seen it, you know. And uh, I was playing this game. And uh, long story short, I just got absolutely nailed in the face with a dodgeball. And uh, like a smart person, I then walk around to the other side of the room because it hurt. And the thing literally flies across the room to hit me in the exact same spot. It was awesome, it was great. Yeah, for sure got a concussion there. And if you consider that with concussions, you can't be around bright lights or loud noises, and that I do this with students for a living, you quickly realize there's going to be a problem. You see, I've had concussions before, and so I can lay low for two weeks. But two weeks turned into a month, a month turned into two, and two months turned into three. Three months and it hurt to think, it hurt to be around people, it hurt to read my Bible, I couldn't go into worship centers, I was literally walking around deaf, blind, and mute, wearing sunglasses, headphones, and unable to figure out the word I needed to have a simple conversation. Um, Doctors did every scan, they couldn't tell me what was wrong, that I just had to keep waiting. I prayed every prayer that there was to pray about healing, had every spiritual authority in my life pray those prayers over me, and nothing happened. And I gotta tell you, the worst day was the going on disability conversation day. It was a really bad day for me. I was angry at God. I didn't understand how he did so much miraculous stuff in my life just for me to end up potentially disabled at 23 years old. I went home to my husband just sobbing, telling him that I didn't have a calling anymore, that I wasn't gonna preach again, I wasn't gonna climb a mountain again, that all my future kids were gonna know about me as this like shell of a person. It, it felt like a death sentence and I didn't understand the goodness of God in the middle of it. And I don't know how to tell you, but that's the day that I read Psalm 73. And I just wanna read this over you. It says, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. And if I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. And so I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. And then I went into your sanctuary, O oh God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. And I realized my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me towards a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. 
Psalm hit me like a freight train, guys. Because what it did is that it gave me words to put to what I was experiencing. It gave me permission to express them to God and it gave me a direction to go. Because I was close to losing my footing. The pain in my life made me doubt the goodness of God, but what that pain did is it actually showed me how bitter my heart was towards the world, towards God, but what did it say? Still, I belong to you. Okay, if I belong to God, that means that I have a glorious destiny, and I have a glorious destiny even if my health is failing, even if my spirit is weak. For me, in the middle of a death sentence, it can just be good to be near God. It's meditation. It's powerful. And so for the next month, literally all I did was repeat this verse in the MRI machine that inevitably would show nothing, laying in the dark, not being able to be in here. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak. God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever until it went from words on a page to something I truly relied on. You see, I told you I got healed though. So uh, my husband is the worship leader for the Flower Mound campus. And in the middle of all of this, he and his team were preparing for a live recording of all the songs that they had written. And if you can only imagine, it's really hard to sing lines like get ready for your miracle for other people when you don't feel like one's happening in your own family. But um, someone prophesied over us that as he sings that, that God's gonna give that to us. I didn't believe it. Uh, but someone prophesied it anyway. And so the night came and I couldn't be in there. And so I was worshiping in a side room through TV. And if you were there, you know that all the power in the building went out. And um, I work here, so I should probably help, right? So like I left and I, you know, went and tried to help because everyone's stuck in the dark. Uh, It all worked out though. The lights came back on. We're getting ready to go. And God told me to stay. Hear me. Not to be TMI, but I had been in the worship center for five minutes a few days before, and it hurt so bad I started uncontrollably vomiting. So it was, uh, I didn't want to hear that. But God told me to stay, and I did, and the lights came on, and the music came back on, and I had no pain. I seriously don't know what to tell you except for the fact that one minute I had a brain injury, the next minute I didn't, and I haven't had pain any ever since. And I tell you that because it was the songs of this house that gave me my life back. And this was and is a song of life for me because I can tell you that there's a way for your health to fail, your spirit to grow weak, for that circumstance to be completely devastating, and for God to remain the strength of your heart. And for you, It's not probably not a brain injury. I hope it's not a brain injury, but we can all fill in the blank of a situation that has made us question the goodness of God in our own lives. Made us wonder if we've wasted our time with this whole Jesus thing. Maybe it was when your mom got diagnosed with leukemia. Maybe it was when you lost your job and you couldn't pay the bills. Maybe it's the marriage that seems to get more dysfunctional no matter what you do. Maybe it's the child that's really struggling with mental health. Maybe it's the dream that was just within reach before it slipped away. And that stuff is real and you're left with like, what am I supposed to do with that? But that's where the Psalms come in. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the Psalms are pretty brutal. Like they say things that church people would be too afraid to say, like, did you just say that to God? Yeah, they did. I mean, the author of Psalm 73 literally looked around his life, said, hey, evil people are living well. I'm following God and my life is hard. That's a crummy deal. What am I supposed to do with that? And what I've gotten from the Psalms this summer is that God can handle your honesty. God can handle your honesty. And why is found in Hebrews. 
It says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Everything you read in the Psalms is this exactly. Nothing in your human experience is a mystery to God. And actually he went as far to experience it himself in the person of Jesus. So that now as Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, we can what? Run to him with the whys and the what ifs and the they haves and the don'ts and I don't understands and the doubts and the confusion. Run to him so we can what? Receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And that's what made the difference for the Psalmist of 73 is that it says he took all of his whys and what ifs and they have and I don'ts to God. It says, I tried to understand why. Try to understand why what? Why the investment opportunity didn't work out. Why that friendship dropped me. Why the diagnosis isn't changing. I tried to understand why, but what a difficult task it is. Break, this is where it changes. Then I went into your sanctuary, oh God. And the whole tone of the psalm from this point on changes because it's whenever you get into the presence of God, honestly, that things begin to change. And this is really good theology because I think we take our whys and we use them as a reason to avoid the presence of God. Because I think we're, gonna be, we're worried we're gonna be disappointed with what we find. Like if I ask him to be strong and he isn't, what am I gonna do with that? If I ask him to heal and he doesn't, like is my faith, is my life that I've constructed going to be able to, to withstand that? What am I supposed to do? And the issue here is that we miss out on having actual faith because we settle for this like surface level Christianity that doesn't reach into the core of who we are or what we care about. And if you don't find the deepest cry of your soul from God, you start looking for it in other places. If your soul, it cries out for affirmation and you don't get it from God, we're gonna get it from social media. If your soul cries out for intimacy and you don't get it from God, you're gonna go to pornography. If your soul, it cries out for purpose and meaning and you don't get it from God, we're gonna go and get and dilute our lives to simple money making. And this is why I'm sure you've seen this. I'm sure you've seen it in your own life where it seems like someone is doing the church thing and they're living well and then all of a sudden one day it just seems like they dropped their faith. And you're like, what the heck happened? Probably a year or so ago, for years, God stopped being the answer to the cry of their heart. And for years, they've pretended, pretended, and said the right things until one day they realized their heart was far from God and they didn't feel the, see the point of keeping up the charade anymore. It's real. God has to be the answer to the deepest cries of our heart. And I'll be honest with you, something that I do, that we do, is that when I see that something in my life isn't good, when I see that something in my world isn't good, I then go and blame God because I think he owes me something. And then I go and I give my life over to the very thing in the first place that wasn't good. But I want you to think about how illogical that is. If the world isn't good, I don't need more of the world, I need more of God. But that's where our author was. He saw what life could be when you had the wealth of the world, whenever you could cut corners and do things dishonestly. He might have seen the perceived sexual freedom that the world has, and we can get to the same place where like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son, one day we throw our hands up at God and say, after all these years I've worked for you, and you won't even give me a goat to celebrate with my friends. 
And we think like, yikes, you said that to your father in that story, but don't we do the same? After all these years, God, and you haven't given me the healing. After all these years, God, and you haven't mended that relationship. After all these years, you haven't given me the financial security that I really thought I would have. And then we go to another place where we say, do you know how much I've done for you, God? Do you know how many times I've served at church? Do you know how much money I've given? Do you know how many times I've invited my neighbor to Easter? Do you know how many times, God, that I was kind to my sister when you know she's just... I am struck a little too close to home. <laughs> All right. But we do that. You know how many times, but I want you to think about it. Have we ever really done anything for God? Or is he the one who's done everything for us? But in the middle of that, I want you to notice how the father responds to the son in that moment. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Pause. Identity, relationship, purpose. Unpause. The son thought that the benefit of being the father's son was the goat. The actual benefit of being the father's son was getting to be with the father. Same for us. And unfortunately, the American church overall has kind of painted God in this like magic genie sort of way where we think that if we go to church a few times a year that he owes us a life that competes with the opulence of the world. But if you read the Bible, God has never promised you anything more or anything less than himself. Look at what it says in Psalms 37. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I gotta be honest, I read this verse wrong for years. Truly, I genuinely thought that if I would like go to church and read my Bible and do the things and follow the rules that he would give me what I really wanted, which was like acceptance and love and success and to get to the right college and get the right spouse and all the things. I want you to read it. If you delight yourself in the Lord, what will the desire of your heart be? The Lord. Go back to our Psalm. It says, I still belong to you and I desire you more than anything on earth. When you belong to God, he becomes your desire and he will give you the desire of your heart. And so can I just ask you today, what is it that you desire more than anything on earth? Truly, what is it that your heart and your soul is crying out for? You see, an easy way to know if it's not God is if you lose confidence in God when you don't have the thing. For me, not having health was almost my breaking point because I lost confidence in God when I didn't have it. And so really what it showed me is that I actually valued health, wanted health more than I wanted God. In the same way, you can figure it out by it's whatever, you maybe you've been throwing your hands up at God over this season. Like throwing your hands up saying like, That's, I, I, I thought I was gonna be able to afford that house. I thought my child would have outgrown uh, this behavior pattern by now. I thought that um, I'd be able to go on vacations like those people. I thought that this season of singleness would be over by now. What are you throwing your hands up at God in this season? And maybe it's just a revealing moment of that's actually what we desire more than him. But the thing is, is that he didn't promise you that. He promised you him. It's a lot like the Levites in the Old Testament. 
So the Levites were a tribe of Israel set apart to be priests. And they fought in the same battles as everybody else. And they spent the same amount of time wandering around the desert as everybody else. But when time came for the land to be broken up, the Levites didn't get one stinking square inch of land. That sounds like a crummy deal. Like I fought in all these battles. I wandered around for 40 years. I saw people get swallowed up by the earth. I think I deserve some land, yes? <laughs> Watch what it says in, in uh, Joshua. It says, to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance as he promised them. You see, the Levites had the singular privilege of ministering to and knowing God. And in the same way, on this side of the resurrection, we have the privilege of ministering to knowing God and being known by God. And so we don't get any inheritance of the land of the world because our inheritance is nothing more and nothing less than all of God. And so that promotion, maybe, but it's not your promise. A spouse, I hate to break it to you, Nowhere in the Bible are you promised a spouse. Awesome if you get one, cool if you need one, but it's not your inheritance. Nowhere in the Bible are we promised wealth or being liked or success or a Tesla, but all over the Bible, you are promised God, and that's the benefit of following Jesus. I mean, don't misunderstand. If you ask for a, if you ask for a fish, he won't give you a rock. Give your cares to God, for he cares for you. Everything you need for life and godliness has been provided in him. It's so, 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 so true. What I've noticed is that every time that I throw my hands up at God as if he owes me something, it's this revealing moment of like, why do I think God owes me anything? Why is that my first response whenever it feels like something is taken away? Because I want you to look at this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him which mean I don't own it and he doesn't owe me it. Go back to our Psalm. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak. Those are variables as if it might happen. Here's the promise to hold on to. God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. That's the promise. And the crazy thing is that it actually sometimes takes your health failing and your spirit growing weak for God to actually be the strength of your heart. Because up until then, it's all theory. And I think truthfully that we would all say we want God to be the strength of our heart, but not if it means my health failing and my spirit growing weak. That's where we tap out. But the thing is, is that your strength, it's whatever you rely on. It's defined as being able to withstand a great force or pressure. It's whatever you fall back on. And so for a lot of us, what we're falling back on looks a lot like this. First, we don't wanna try and fall back on anything because we are self-sufficient and we're awesome. <laughs> don't wanna fall back on anything. But if we have to, something happens, maybe we first fall back on our money. Then if that fails, maybe we fall back on our reputation. And then if that fails, maybe we fall back on our religiosity. And only if that fails will we fall back on our family. And only then maybe we'll actually fall back on God. We've built up all these safeguards to keep us from actually having to fall back on God because I don't think we truly believe he's gonna catch us. But the thing is, until you've actually tested out the strength of God and your health has failed and your spirit's grown weak, will you actually be able to see and experience it? The thing is with all these safeguards, we just need to call it what it is, guys. It's idolatry. 
anything in your life that takes the place of God, any man-made thing that takes the place of God in your life is an idol. But here's the good news. Anything that's man-made can be man-unmade. And oftentimes, it's the grace of God that allows all these things to fail so you can truly see and rely on the strength of God. You guys with me? Okay. And that's where you see mind-bending things in scripture, where you see it in James, where it says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Don't often pray that prayer. I, I don't, I don't know about you. But consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Um, you know what this makes me think of? I don't know if you guys have seen these videos online where someone goes around with like a diamond tester in a public space and they test people's engagement rings. Um, and people find out that for however, however long they've been married, that the ring that they thought was diamond and that their sweetie gave them is actually made of glass. Can you imagine the car ride home? First off, that's, all, that's what I really wanna see, but they don't ever put that on camera. <laughs> but it's true, because until I test this thing, I have no idea what it's made of. It could be made of glass and it could be made of diamond. And do you treat glass and diamond any differently? Yes, oh please, man. Please treat them differently, because glass, it can break, and so you're not gonna put a lot of weight on that thing. But diamond is like the strongest thing ever, and so it can withstand a great force or pressure. And here's the deal. I think a lot of us are walking around treating our faith like it's glass because we've never tested it. We've never actually let the hard things in our life break down all of the safeguards, get to a place of humility where we're able to cry out to God, say, who am I in heaven but you? And so we live with this victim mentality where if we think our faith is like glass and we have all these things and anytime any weight is put to it, we freak out. And we're like, God, you failed me. My faith is gonna fall apart. This whole thing I've, I've constructed over the years, what is this gonna mean? Are you even good? Sound familiar? Sounds familiar to me. The thing is, all that pressure and that weight and that emotion actually is the weight of all of your idols breaking, God's not gonna. But it takes doing that for God to actually become the strength of your heart. And I think we spend so much time avoid testing our faith that we actually miss out on the opportunity to develop faith, real faith. Faith like it talks about in the Bible, a faith that can last, a faith that can be a harbor of hope for others, a faith that can be passed on to the next generation. And guys, God's, theory, God's strength was never supposed to be a theory in our lives. It was something that was meant to be experienced. And I don't want us to be a church that has a theory about the strength of God. I want us to be a church that has experienced it, that's tested it that's proven it, that has seen that God's strength isn't glass, it's made of diamond, and so we can proclaim that. And, and it takes this like level of humility, and you see it all over the Bible, because it was when our psalmist got weak in the presence of God, that it led to God becoming the strength of his heart. It was Jesus in the garden, weak in the presence of the Father, sweating blood, asking for a way out of the cross that actually gave him the faith to face the cross. 
It's the moments where you lack that then him being a provider stops being theory, it becomes reality. It's moments of sickness where God being a healer stops becoming theory, it becomes a reality. It's when you hit rock bottom, you realize God is the rock at the bottom, the strength of your heart, something you can rely on. And once you get to this place, guys, your song, it starts to change from the they haves and the I don'ts and the what will I do's and it changes from the God you let me down or I don't know how this is gonna work and this is too overwhelming too. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak, but God remains. Those are really powerful two words. God remains. Strength of my heart. You know, the job may fail. Okay. God doesn't fail. And he remains. Okay. The diagnosis doesn't change. God doesn't change. And he remains. The strength of my heart. And that becomes your song over and over. You can begin to sing that. And I want that to be a song that you're able to sing. And as I've been praying, I really just got the sense that like the invitation from God was that he wants the situation that you're going through right now, the one that you've been thinking of this whole time, to be the one where he actually becomes the strength of your heart. Not in theory, but in experience. And so my question today is will you let him? Let me say this to you. Your health may fail, your spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of your heart. He is yours forever, and you are his. Will you close your eyes with me? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? What situation has he been bubbling up? And if even right now, if you're ready, I think there's just an opportunity to surrender it to him. I think there's an opportunity to say, Jesus, I'm tired of being my own strength and I want you to be my strength. I think there's an opportunity to be honest with what it really is that you desire above all else and ask God to replace it with himself. And so Jesus, we just say, even if our health fails, even if our spirit grows weak, even if the situation doesn't turn out like we thought it would, even if it's hard, even if it's horrible, the fact remains is that you will remain the strength of our heart. You are our inheritance. You are our portion and we're gonna say it until we believe it and it's okay if we don't believe it because that's the point of meditation is that we're gonna take it, go over it and hear, believe it, declare it in faith until we truly believe it. And I just ask that we would be a church with a faith like a diamond. We would be a church who has seen and experienced your strength and your goodness in a way that it truly can become a song of life for us, for the next generation and for the city around us. Truly God is good to those whose hearts are pure. And for me, it can just be good to be near God. In Jesus' name, amen.